Welcome to episode 32 of the Coach Fairy Podcast. Thanks for the smooth intro, Kid Fury. Everyone, today's guest is Halen Alpert from Core Principles Strength and Conditioning in Stamford, Connecticut. And I want to give a special thanks to Halen. We had to juggle this one around schedule-wise, uh, all because of me, and just uh, had a particularly hectic couple of weeks scheduling. And I'm going to apologize to both him and you. You might hear some distortion on some of his lines. Please deal with it. This was a great conversation. We tried to work around it and figure out what was causing it. Couldn't quite solve it, but we did get it better. So, um, Please uh, know that I'm aware of it, but also this was a really great conversation that happened really quickly. I went into this really liking Halen and you know, wanted to give the brother a hug at the end of it. We haven't had a chance to hang out too much, and it was a great conversation. So that's what's coming up there. I got to give a special shout out to my friend from Strength Faction family, um, but Casey Lee for hosting Original Strength Pressing Reset last weekend at his place. Parisi, The Edge, powered by The Edge in Vermont, and um, Cozy Joe Grunvald, who also helped out as a staff member there and also a faction family member, and Michelle Kanye for making the trip out with Ace, her dog Ace, to come take the course. We had a great crew. It was an awesome time. Um, somewhat of a, a one of my rougher flying experiences scheduling-wise, but uh, it was really great to teach the course there and meet everybody. And Vermont uh, was a surprisingly fun town. I don't know why that was a surprise for me, but I'd never been there before. I really dug it. Possibly made my last visit to an open Toys R Us while I was up there. So Casey, thank you and the crew for putting up with that. Um, Speaking of people doing awesome stuff, shouts out to the Fury crew or shout outs to the Fury crew. Um, Whether you've been training in the Die Mighty Online program, personal training, or taking classes over here, Everyone, you've been nailing it. It's been a pleasure. Uh, the class crew, it's really great getting to know you and now having you guys get to know each other in classes. So uh, thank you for just being a part of this amazing journey. If anybody's interested in joining the Fury crew, whether it's online training, uh, personal training, or classes, head over to coachfury.com. You can also hear all past and future episodes of the show and any other blogs I write. So check that out. Now let's talk about some courses. There's a lot coming up. This year's just shaping up to be awesome. Uh, DVRT Workshop, MSC Strength in Boston, April 29th. Almost sold out. Just literally two or three spots left open for that. Not a scarcity tactic, folks. I don't play those games, uh, but literally just a few spots. Four-hour workshop, great price point. Come hang out and learn with some awesome people. That's April 29th. The RKC2, second annual one at Catalyst Sport, May 5th through the 6th in New York City. Original Strength returns to Austin, Texas, Dow Health and Fitness on May 12th. Original Strength Pressing Reset Workshop at my brother from another, James Newman's place, Quest Fitness in uh, Guilford, Connecticut. That is on June 9th. That'll be the week after Slayer. James, thanks for working that into the schedule. Didn't want to mess up the Slayer show. July 15th, HKC, MFF Bowery. Come on down for that one. I'm going to crush that one. That's actually, oddly, my first HKC of the year this year, and I am excited to uh, teach the hell out of that one. Now, this isn't open for registration yet, but uh, it looks like DVRT, Ultimate Sandbag Training, Level 1 and Level 2 certifications are going to hit MSC Strength on September 22nd and 23rd. Stay tuned to the podcast or coachfury.com slash courses to find out when registration opens up for that one. Now, here's something in the works. My family at Catalyst Sport, where you guys by now will know I do a lot of my courses there, in October... The Die Mighty Workshop is happening 
And I'm really excited to share uh, an inside look at the philosophy of Fury, how I approach training the Fury crew, how I approach programming, how I approach utilizing all these systems that uh, I, I teach courses in, original strength, RKC, hard style kettlebell training, DVRT ultimate sandbag training, um, the other elements that I do, like what is my approach to meeting people, assessing people, training people, and um, making magic happen, right? So the Diamighty Workshop is becoming an official reality in October. Very excited for that. Wait for, you'll have to wait though for like registration and info. There's, there's, there's time for that. It'll be a low price point, uh, hopefully packed with a lot of action steps and take homes and some good times. So check that out. Stay tuned. Then I got to thank, thank my friends, Travis Johnson, Kauri Tani from uh, Kinetikos in Japan. The Tokyo RKC, I've been quiet about it here because it's sold out. It's sold out in like three days. And I just want to thank them for all the courses they've brought out and will continue to be bringing out. But we've been working on getting this RKC happening for a couple of years now um, to two HKCs, two annual HKCs. And it's, it, it's built to this. And they sold it out instantly. We're looking for a bigger space. And just thank you so much. I love you guys um, for doing that. Also, so that is sold out unless we get a bigger space October 27th and 28th. Original Strength's returning to Tokyo, though. They're bringing us back out as well. That is going to be on November 3rd. Dates and uh, registration is not open for that. And we might do another Fury course, um, something special that uh, just, just for the Connecticut family. And that might be uh, Indian clubs related or something. We're, we're working that one out now. But uh, folks, you know me. Film nerd, Akira Kurosawa nerd, major Godzilla nerd. Get to go to Japan every year. Uh, I am truly living my best life. And it's basically all because of those two. So I love you. Um, let's talk about some things I'm fanning out on outside of, you know, my friends in this fitness world. I am fanning out on, uh, I've been diving back in. I think I might've mentioned this on the last podcast, diving back into ECW extreme championship wrestling, fanning out on that, keeping on the wrestling front, uh, kid fury and I watched uh, Jumanji, the new one with the rock and Kevin Hart and Jack black. And damn, that was a surprisingly fun movie. If I was a kid, that movie would be like in there with like potentially in there with Goonies with me. Like I just had a blast with that one. And uh, I'm also going to give props to my wife. So there's this Facebook thing going on right now of like, uh, list your top favorite albums of all time. And when I see Kim's selections of what she picks, I'm like, I know why I married this woman. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. It blows my mind when Seven Seconds Records and Jane's Addiction Records are showing up. Um, it just makes me so happy. Uh, music is a big part of our lives. And I'm like, wow, we gel on a lot, uh, except for war paint. Anyway, moving on, uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Please enjoy Halen Alpert and Fury talking about all of the things. Bronze Zoo has been like this nice touchstone place for the family. Like I just, you know, I can remember taking the kids there since it was like baby Bjorn time, the dual stroller time. Now they're walking on their own. Now they can go get their own stuff. Like it's, it's crazy. Um, Kim and I were talking about, you know, the mixed emotional reactions sometimes about like the fact of zoos and animals and captivity and stuff. Sure. But I, I keep going back to when I was a kid and that's like kind of what spurred my interest in some of that. You forget, I think we marvel at animals a little bit when we're an adult, like, cause we actually might have the money to go to a safari. I'm not that guy right now, but I think we <laughs> lose, I think we lose that sense of awe when you're not aware what that is. Right. And you go to a zoo and you're like, holy crap, there's a gorilla. 
Yeah, yeah. I guess if you're if you're a kid, you're not adulterated by the uh, the thought of that wild animal be stuck in a, a shitty little cage. So yeah, so it's like it, it's it's a weird one, you know. I'd like to think they take care of their animals, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> please, nobody start rallying against the podcast. Uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> you and I have these conversations about being decent human beings, um, uh-huh. but yeah, we uh, we got out a little bit of a late start. I had a session at home got a little bit of a late start and one parking lot was full. So then we got driving around to get to the next one and spent 30 minutes, like bumper to bumper trying to get into the next one. And I literally seven cars from the gate, saw the gate closed that that one went full. So we spent an hour driving around the park, one lap just to find a parking spot. So I apologize for the late start. (laughs) What was your patience level throughout that? Dude, it was so good until the last 30 minutes. Cause then you're like, well, both of these lots are full. I don't know where we're going to go. Everybody else, you know, there's hundreds of us trying to find parking. So I don't want to let my kid down. You know, Ben was like, this is the one thing he wanted to do this weekend. But I'm like, well, parking's parking. But uh, luckily we got in. It was wonderful. It was a little packed. You get to see the uh, uh, outside of the potential animal conditions, the best and the worst in humanity itself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, that was it. But, you know, especially like in film now, like everything's so big, right? Now try to remember when we were kids, I know I'm older than you, but not by much. Cause I know when your birthday was recently, Oh, happy belated birthday. I should throw that out Thank there. You. Um, you know, remember before Jurassic park, how rad dinosaurs were right now. We almost take that for granted. Cause we get to see like really big, di- like realistic looking dinosaurs. So w- with that type of stuff, I try to instill, or allow, I shouldn't say instill, allow my kids to still have a sense of marvel at things because it's so laid out in front of them and there's so much stuff that they can view that that's important to me. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Um, but yeah, I was intrigued by uh, dinosaurs as a kid and even beyond, uh, somewhat laughable now, in college, my freshman year where I went to Rutgers, I took a course on dinosaurs. Oh, that's awesome. Entirely on dinosaurs and like, my major at the time was criminal justice, and dinosaurs was just an interest of mine. I can say, hands down, I spent more time invested in that class on dinosaurs than anything else I did. Wow, that's, that's cool. Yeah, I kind of wish I had a class in dinosaurs. I took uh, a lot of Eastern, aside from my film classes, I took a lot of art classes, Eastern philosophy, and human sexuality classes. Those seem to be where I gravitated to in terms of like the... Uh, what do they call those types of credits you need? I don't even remember. Um, electives. Electives. That was it. Like outside <laughs> your major that, you know, so you could be a well-rounded human being. Right. I don't even know if that is that necessary. In hindsight, I'm kind of like, if I'm paying to go to college, let me just take all the direct college things on the subject that I want. Yeah. It's, I don't know if you agree. I still say most of them barely apply once you actually start working in the real world. Mm. Well, I was a film major. So now everything that, you know, when I went back, I was cutting, literally hand cutting with a razor on a thing and scotch taping film back together, you know, audio and and film tracks, 60 millimeter film tracks. Now, you know, an independent film was like, you know, uh, digital was just starting. So independent was still like clerks, right? Like um, 16 millimeter low budget film still. And now, we can do all of this on our phone. It's insane. <laughs> like, but, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I'm excited to see where 
education goes as my kids leave high school. I mean, they've got years still ahead of them, but you know, I've heard like conversations with Joe Rogan and stuff on this. And I'm inclined to believe like, depending on your profession, we live in this marvelous time where if you think of schools as places to have access to education and information, like for the most part, we have that for free now, or you can take a good, like real cheap course versus having like for film. I don't know if I'd ever go to film school again. I had the Hmm. best time when I think about the amount of money, like you could make a feature film, you could make a few feature films for that Hmm. much money now. And yeah, they might not get seen by anybody, but it's like on the job training and look what, look at the reel you have to show around versus like, here's my degree. If you want to be an entrepreneur, like you can learn a lot about business right now without having to go to business school and spending that money and you can invest that money into your project. And we have, you can work from your, your phone, from your laptop, from your iPad. It's kind of crazy. Now, I'm not going to know surgeon, a lawyer that learned online. <laughs> but, agreed, agreed. But it's kind of amazing. I mean, think about like our profession, right? Let, let's, let's, let's bring this into the world of fitness. Did you go to college for fitness? I did not initially, no. Yeah, I, I didn't was, either. I was an urban planner. I have a undergraduate degree in environmental studies and then a master's degree in, in urban planning. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that about you, uh, Alan. Let's actually say your name because we've been recording and we haven't even said your name, but I like, I, I'm liking this conversation. Hey, everybody, listeners, welcome Halen Alpert to the show, uh, owner of Core Principal Strength and Conditioning in Connecticut. Um, welcome, man. Good to hey, see you. Thanks, man. I'm finally. Uh, I'm glad this has finally happened. Yeah, thank you for Very hustling. Happy to be here. Uh, Halen and I have been trying to schedule and reschedule, largely to my fault. And then we had some technical difficulties, and then I was late at the zoo. So we're here. <laughs> but l- let's go back. So if if you know, and we know a lot of people, right? This is a topic that's come up in Strength Faction too, where people are like, you know, what certs are important for trainers? And, you know, if you listen and go back to episode two of this podcast, Tom Bumgarner talks about how he went to school, you know, uh, I think it was for kinesiology and how little of it ends up actually being applicable to the day-to-day of either running a fitness business or training people. And, you know, for me, it's like, well, instead of going for that college education in it, spend the money on your rent while you intern sleeping on couches and stuff at a great place like a lot of our friends have done. Um, take the certs and the things that are interested that you're interested in as opposed to some sort of broad based thing and and start to build that foundation for like practical application and coaching none of you know none of this idea of like theory and i don't want to say i don't want to i don't say science in a belittling way of science but a lot of that stuff doesn't seem to translate and i think that's where you and i probably got almost a leg up even though we didn't realize it at the time we didn't come in with like we came in very open-minded to what we did right how, how long have you been in fitness now uh 10 years now okay so you're, you're well ahead of me uh may will be seven years full-time so i've been training okay. about seven and a half years uh if you throw in the, the the part-time stuff um what do you think was the most important single step you took making the transition from urban planning to uh fitness coach the most important step um Getting comfortable realizing I knew nothing, accepting that I knew nothing related to fitness. Uh, meaning, I read a bunch of shit. I felt like I knew a bunch of shit, but uh, the reality is, I knew very little in terms of like compared to what I know now, how to put something cohesive together and actually help somebody. I could help myself, 
which I think is what a lot of trainers still do is like, I can help myself, so I must be able to help other people. I don't think there's much truth in that at all. Um, so for whatever reason, maybe personality, uh, I was uh, always had a decent sense of humility. I don't know if you can diagnose yourself as humble, but I am uh, a sense of humility to realize that <laughs> I didn't really know that much. And like the thirstier and hungrier I was to learn stuff and not accept what I knew as the only way to do stuff, that was the best and fastest way to accelerate my career and actually be able to help people. Yeah, I think that there's a Lonely Planet song, you know, Andy Samberg and those guys called I'm the Humblest or something like that. It's funny. <laughs> but I, I, I think when, when you come in sort of with, an, with, with the open mind and, and almost the, I don't know, it's kind of like bold confidence and utter fear of not really knowing what you're doing, right? Like I, I remember just being like, well, I've taken enough classes. I'm just going to try to do what that is and then go from there. Um, cause I did, I, I did teach classes probably for like two or three months solo before I started training one-on-ones. And I, th- I think that really helped because when people ask like, when, you know, when, when someone comes up to me, I don't get necessarily, well, I do get like enthusiasts, like thinking about training and I do get a lot of coaches then that are thinking about like, how do I become leadership now because of the groups that I teach for. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that worked for me was since I didn't plan on being a trainer, I just got deep into the things that I cared about kettlebells, sandbags, Indian clubs, um, you know, later that led to, you know, to OS and other stuff that, uh, I was able to sort of get away from some of the randomness, but on the same point, and this is the thing that's been really interesting on the podcast is I definitely got caught up in dogma, like in the dogma, especially of the RKC of the day in the olden days. Mm. And I started making hard lines where I should have actually not been like, I should have been thinking more Venn diagram and see where, where the overlaps are. And I think I'm definitely there now than making defined borders. Right. So in a bad political pond, I was definitely Trump about borders in terms of like, this is my fitness belief and this is it. And nothing goes outside this wall. And although I, I still think I had an open mind, but I was like, I, 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 I was definitely like, this is the best. And I still believe the stuff I'm a part of is great, but I also know there's other stuff I'm unaware of that's probably great too. And what, what do you think was the, um, what, if, if you could break down now in 10 years, right now you own your own business. What is the, what would you think was the biggest sort of like growth aha moment you had as, as a coach or owner that was like kind of, I don't know, in, inside yourself, changed the game, how you perceived yourself within this. Hmm. Well, um, this is actually more recent, and I think probably is still the biggest game changer is look, looking at um, what I do more as an creating experience for someone, creating overall an experience. Like I feel so much feels that that is so important now beyond anything else. Like I'm willing to go on record and say like fitness is so much less important in terms of how you deliver it to someone than I ever thought it to be. I thought like this was the most important part. How it's like the experience, how you make them feel, how you support them, how they feel cared about is way more important than the actual fitness part you deliver to them. Not to say the fitness isn't important because it still is, but I always fall back on like, if I don't make them feel good, if I don't make them trust me, if I don't make them like desire in some way to show up and spend some time with me, who gives a shit about the fitness part? We're never getting to that. Uh, I couldn't agree more. It was, 
I mentioned it in, in regards to like a strength faction video I made, um, priming them on their own. I, I was actually helping to try to promote um, their onboarding webinar and in doing a die mighty in service uh, for my friends at results driven a couple months ago, I just realized so much of what we do is if you, if you strip away any technique knowledge, any programming knowledge, it's the most important, like three things we can do is create trust, create expectations and create an experience. And then the fourth thing would be deliver on all three of those things. Right. Because yeah. I feel like, so as I'm now taking that ideas of the in-service and, and, and the Die Mighty Workshop, a lot of it is going to be based on that. Because everybody, like, if you think about yourself as a business owner, and I'm going to think about this as now, like, you know, trying to set the expectations of what Fury Industries is now. When people come into my place to train, right, or they come, they're coming in as new members to your place. If, if you are, I'm not saying you have to be super 100% infallible or solid, but if, if you don't have, like... <laughs> a set goal to create an expectation that sets them up for success, but also allows you to do your systematic approach to however you run business. Like you're fucked. Like that's really a rough turnaround. And I think that's where a lot of the conversations we'll have amongst our peers are like, Oh man, I have this client. That's this. How do I get out of that? This people are expecting this. And it's really about just deliver a great experience. Don't hurt anybody. Right. Clearly you have to go on the do not harm part. Sure. Um, I love that you said that. Julian uh, Cardius posted a, a thing on Facebook recently. I think it was last week. I'm forgetting the exact thing, but like how like the first five years of training were like, I don't know anything. The like I know I don't know what to do. The second five years were I'm going to tell you what to do, and the, now currently it's like what do you want to do, <laughs> right? With the client. <laughs> Julian, I'm sorry. I'm sure I'm paraphrasing the hell and murdering that, but I thought it was really true. The more we educate ourselves, the more hours we get training people, the more um, we really start to consider our income, that becomes a huge part of it. Because that is, that is results, that is retention, that is community, that is safety, that is um, making friends. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a, it's a, the shift is so dramatic for me. And like one thing that's jumping out to me, like when new people come into the gym these days, I lead with, like, look, our gym is no different than any other gym in terms of the stuff you see here. It's a bunch of metal shit and it's a bunch of rubber shit. Most gyms mostly have the same stuff in them. That's not what differentiates one from the other. But what does is how you feel when you walk through that door. Do you feel, do you feel welcome here? Do you feel like people actually care about you when you walk in the door? And do they want to see you succeed just about as much as you do? Like, if you've got all that and then we can create a little bit of fun and make it feel like you're having an experience here beyond just going to a gym, I think you're set up in the system to, to help you win. If, if win is like, make some change. Yeah. Uh, you're, I like you, Halen. <laughs> I knew it already, but like, uh, I'll also say this, if you're not like, you know, the fun aspect's interesting. The other thing is being open-minded to like, if you are the type of coach that wants to have like, I don't want to say like a beatdown experience, right? Like, but like if you're a drill sergeant type coach and that's like the type of experience you want to deliver, it's the same thing for that. So whether or not it's fun or not, like that's what some people emotionally are going to be driven to, right? They're going to be driven to being yeah. like yelled at, barked at, whatever, as long as you're not hurting anybody, right? Like I think like, but you have to take ownership of what, what experience you're delivering. You can't try to sell the drill sergeant and then try to be, the, the, you know, the silly guy, right? Um, 
I know I get sometimes people, I, I, I would get this a lot while I was at MFF where ninjas would come up to me like, you know, be like, you know, I was afraid to train with you because your name's Fury and you're covered in tattoos and you look like, you know, you should be behind bars and all that stuff. <laughs> and, and then they, and then they would take a class or a session with me. And mm-hmm. <laughs> once I start talking, it's like, oh, but I'm not actively trying to sell any sort of uh, Coach Fury thing. That just happens to be a nickname that, you know, I was given and has stuck. And I just happen mm-hmm. to look the way I look. I mean, guys, like I'm like mid 40s bald went bald real early i'm out i don't have many options for style the shaved head and and tattoos things kind of works for what i have to work with but i think that 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 experience is open and one of the interesting things that now that i think about it is like it comes up a lot about authenticity in the gym and you know mff is, is surely somebody that's been at the forefront of like allowing it being a fun experience not that they're the only ones that have done that but that sometimes i think that's equated to like it always has to be creating a fun experience. It just has to be creating your experience, what you want to deliver, right? Yeah. Like I know there's, there's super intense gyms out there and they, they're, yeah. people love it. That's, I mean, um, I feel like my, my, my sessions are pretty hard and educated, but I'm not a drill sergeant. I can't pull yeah. that shit off. Right. Well, right. And that, that comes through immediately. So um, perhaps the, one A answer to like what's the biggest shift over the course of my career? Uh, and make such a significant difference in like the success of my business is not trying to be everything to anyone anymore. Like knowing who I am, knowing that I connect best with a certain sect of the population, and just trying to work with those people in their fifties and sixties now. Of course, I think we all start there. Like, we want to be everything to everyone because part of it is like, well, shit, I need clients. I need to work. I'll work with Papa Dad, who's 70 something. And yeah, I, I train 12 year olds. Why not bring them over? We'll figure out something cool to do. I'm like, why would you say no? Because no, saying no means no experience and no money. And when you're trying to get all of that at the beginning, you can't say no. The, the hardest part for me, and it's still eye-opening, is like, you know, it's not just the beginning for me. Like, I still feel like, you know, I, I, I have definitely at the point where uh, regardless of the potential loss of income, I have cut back on commuting in and out of the city. I'm limiting my hours for that. If I'm going to like, you know, occasionally someone reaches out by an in-home, you're going to pay for that because I have to travel and cannot train people doing quite frankly like it's not the best use of my time to be on the subway going in and out of the city that said if you're going to pay an elevated rate for like once a one a week or whatever like it's fair i'm not gouging anybody but it feels like every time i leave a gym i'm in that position of like oh my gosh like i kind of want to try to take anybody because i just need to make money and then i end up and i I did it when i left mff bouncing around the city and it feels great Mm -hmm. for like a like three weeks maybe a month you're like oh i'm hustling and the money's good and then you're like by the end of that first four weeks, it's like, oh my gosh, this just sucks. I just want to be home, and I, I you know, or or back at a gym because you're. It's so hard to line up as an independent. Sometimes, two to three sessions back to back at the same spot. You're constantly traveling, and and for me, I have to leave an hour either way. Um, okay. When when did you find that you were able to sort of give up? Uh, I don't want to say give up. Make the decision that you know you're not going to chase everybody. Um, cause I do think that's what comes a quality of life thing on the other side of finance, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the travel part beats you up as you described, right? Um, I did 
out here in Connecticut, in-homes are popular because it's certainly an affluent area. So driving to people's houses, um, it just, no matter how much you charge, it, it does, it starts to beat up a little bit. And spending that amount of time in the car on an island by yourself, uh, it certainly wore me down. Uh, and it impacted the experience that I was able to provide to people. And it was just like, all right, I'm here. I got 60 minutes. Let's bang this out. I'm checking my watch four or five times throughout. Seems like uh, making sure we're on time. I'm going to have enough time to move on to the next person. And like the priorities got totally covered up and it just became work again. It took some of the fun out of it. Um, but, you know, I don't know if there was a clear moment where I decided uh, I really want to work exclusively with people in their 50s and 60s. I don't think there really was one. It was just a progression over time. More more reps you do on your squat, right? The more you figure it out and dial it in and find out what the best position for you is and like how you set it up. Uh, so I think it's analogous to that. Just over time and working with a variety of different people, I rarely found my sweet spot. I'm like, this is where I communicate best. This is where I feel most comfortable. This is where I can provide the best experience. These are the people I need to be with. I make a business out of being with these people. So let's talk about, so your population is largely in their 50s and 60s, which on one hand is usually tends to be underserved by a lot of gyms and boutique gyms. And also, I think, for, uh, forgotten positive other side positive as opposed to helping people that truly need it is, you know, usually people are fairly financially stable at that point. Um, did, it, it, you mentioned it just before, but that was just became like a natural evolution. Like that, w did, did you find you enjoyed training that type of a client or did that client sort of gravitate towards you first? And then there was like that moment of like, ah, oh, these are my people. Mm, it's probably a combination of both. Um, and the third piece is where I, when I worked, before I had core principles, um, I worked for a company on Greenwich, uh, and the gym was in a corporate office. And we worked with primarily uh, financial, financial industry folks who were mostly in their late 40s, 50s, and 60s. So it was sort of placement. I got comfortable with that um, and all those things that I said before in terms of feeling best able to connect with those people. Uh, for whatever reason, um, before I even really knew what the word empathetic mean, I was like empathetic to all the shit that those people had going on and all the different demands in their life and the stress that work brought them, but still having the desire to make sure they take care, took care of their family, but also took care of themselves um, and seeing how much they struggled with that and not for a lack of effort, right? You got somebody who's tried five different trainers and, seven different diets, they're clearly interested in making themselves better. Uh, in all likelihood, a big chunk of it is just they're not in the right environment to be successful for like what their needs are. Yeah. Uh, it's very true. It, it's, I tend to not get so many people. I'd say a lot of the people that I get would be in their like low mid-30s to maybe 50, right? Mid-40s. Uh -huh. Kind of like within my age, my age range. And for a lot, it's they took that time to build their career and build their family, yes. and now they're realizing like it's time for themselves, you know. And I think that's really important because so much of our marketing is aimed at uh, 
finger pointing and failing and no excuses and blah, blah, blah. And certainly like there's like an element of that, but you know, like there are legitimate excuses in life. And I think depending on where you're coming from, like if you have a high stress job and a, a mortgage and maybe a couple of cars and a couple of kids, like on one end, that sounds like you have everything. Now just, you have the money to train, go train. On the other end, you have no idea the day to day that job stress is tearing them down just so that they can have like, I, I just remember being in, in my previous career of visual effects, you know, where I didn't know what time I would get, generally get into work between like nine and nine thirty ish and work. It's supposed to be until five thirty six for the drop of a hat until 2 AM to ship a project under constant deadlines, a lot of stuff that's out of my control. And I just remember barely having anything left to like deal with my kids. Now, I also remember that as a trainer, like part of the, my, myself leaving MFF, nothing wrong with MFF. It's part of being a staff trainer somewhere. You're doing the mornings, you're doing the evenings, you're doing your independent business in the, in the middle. And I'm doing workshops on the weekends. Like I had nothing left for Kim and the kids, like just nothing. Yeah. I'm so damn tired all the time. I didn't want to train. I didn't want to like, I started, you know, drinking more to help me just chill out. Yeah. And there's always trainers then attack trainers about like, stop making excuses. And yes, we have to, I don't know if it, if it increases empathy or I can look in the mirror and be like, yeah, like I get it. Like I can relate to this person who's coming in. Cause this is my freaking job and I'm feeling ground out as much as I love it. Like they might not even love their job. Like imagine what that feels like. We forget that part sometimes. Cause we get so stressed doing this thing that we love. Cause let's face it. We could all probably make more money doing other stuff. And what if they don't love their job and they got to go through that same type of pressure. Right. Yeah. I love that. You said um, one thing that I often say in terms of when we use marketing materials, like you focused on your career, you focused on your family. <clears throat> you weren't able or weren't, didn't make yourself a priority at that time. But now you're ready to, because you realize all that damn hard work you put into creating your career and making yourself financially stable and having a great family. Well, shit, now you want to be able to enjoy the fruits of that. And like, you want to feel pretty good about yourself. You want to be able to, whether your kids are in high school and college now, you want to be able to go on family vacations with them and go on the bike ride and go on the hike. Or whether you're closer to your 60s and 70s and you're moving to grandkid age, and you want to still be able to do that shit with them and not be stuck at home while everyone else is going out and enjoying stuff. And, and, and that's like the, the dime ID age. I'm, I'm finding this has come up and, and I didn't really think about it this way until maybe a couple of months ago is there's really when you, when someone hits 55, 60, I think 55 is a transition age going into 60 it, with people that I've seen is somebody at 60 can look and look and feel and move like they're 45, right? Like if you and I are training and we could be like, holy, there's no way you're 60. But then there's another end of 60 where you're like, you are, if I was back in high school, what I would picture 60 being. And I noticed that maybe it's because like, you know, I turned 45 this year and I still feel pretty solid, but I had my first, like, you know, I've had surgeries and tons of injuries from skateboarding and BMX, but you know, uh, my thyroid issue, uh, my Graves disease was the first time that like, wow, I like have a medical condition, right? It's not going away. Like I'm dealing with it. I have something I have to deal with. <laughs> not a sob story, folks. Like there's so <laughs> many worse things. Like I'm actually grateful that this is the hurdle I have to deal with. There's worse things that I could be dealing with. So I, I don't want it to come across that, but I think there's an age too, where you start to realize like, I don't believe in age as a number, but 
there are elements of age that kick in. Recovery tends to be a thing. Like I cannot fall and bounce off, bounce back up at the skate park like I used to. Now into my 30s, not a problem. Right. Like I would laugh at my buddy, my buddy Chase. Right. My buddy. I remember when I first met Chase, I was probably like 32 and he was 22. And he'd be like, you know, oh, feeling old at the skate park. I'd be like, fuck you, Chase. Um, though I love you, Chase. And, you know, because I could hang in there. Now, mind you, I did end up having surgery shortly after that time. So I don't know if that had something to do with it. But now I go to the skate park and I feel that for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Like I just started running again and man, that transition into running again, is kind of like, wow, I feel that. Um, but I also know now more than ever, that fitness aspect, huge, huge. Cause that's mm -hmm. not going to get any better if I don't start taking action steps. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, based on what you said about, you know, making time for yourself as well, piggybacking off of what I said, what I think I would love if anybody can get anything out of this podcast, even if it's a, if a non-trainer is listening is like, now's the time to start taking those action steps. And for you younger folks listening out here who are constantly chasing heavy weights or whatnot, you might want to rethink that even now younger. So you're not in the same realm of feeling potentially beat down in your forties and fifties. Like I do believe there's a pre-gaming for that. And we learn from our injuries uh, a lot, but imagine if you didn't get them and you just were able to learn from people that maybe like myself that have gone through them, right. Mm -hmm. Or witnessing them as a side, as opposed to you, imagine trying to go through your entire training career without like a massive shoulder, knee or lower back or something injury, like how fucking awesome you would be at 75 years old. Yeah. But don't, don't you feel like a lot of those injuries create some of the wisdom? They do, but our fails definitely make us who we are, how we bounce up. But I think there are things that we can learn from others and then still we're going to have our own fails, whatever the category is. Right. So like, I think like if I could go back and not have a, a knee surgery, right. Like if I could, like if I could go back in time and be like, Hey Fury, don't drop in in that pool that time. I would not <laughs> drop in in that pool that time. You know what I mean? Um, but it's also that fear of like anything can happen. I mean, I'm also like, you can't go out. You have to assess your risk. Like one skateboarding got into handrails for me. I was like, I knew like, all right, well, there goes me going pro. I'm never going to be a handrail guy. Like that's just insane. And, uh, you know, the, I remember like one of the first days I tried a handrail, I literally ended up in the ER with a wrist. Like I just jacked my wrist up. And so like, you know, but I, I had accepted risks in pools and curbs and ledges and whatnot. But then I had like, all right, well, I'm not going to go here. What I hate hearing is when people just like, I'm not going to do anything because I'm afraid to get hurt. Mm. Like that's no way to like live your life. Cause quite frankly, like you might trip on the sidewalk. How many of us, mm. how many of us in fitness have, have gotten hurt picking up something small, you know, disrespectfully in a way than on a big lift? A lot of us. Mm -hmm. Right. That's and bad. so I don't know. I, I think if you could, <laughs> Change your training if you're on a younger side so that you can be more resilient in your older age. I, I think that would be a good way to go. If you want to compete and stuff, that's a whole other thing. But if you're just in it for load over load's sake, I would maybe try to reconsider that out the gate. Like I'll say from like some of the OS folks that I know that I'm friends with and some from DVRT in particular that I know, uh, super strong, move really well, but don't have that same wear and tear that like, pacing PRs under heavy kettlebells or under heavy barbells has. And that might be like something that maybe you don't need to learn that lesson. 
you know, because how much do you have to torture yourself to know how to pick up a deadlift, you know, the deadlift? No, it's, of course, I think that puts it in a better position. Um, I was also going to say, look, in terms of our, as we've talked to more and more people in their 50s and 60s, we've realized, like, I've sort of decided the biggest degradation in quality of life for these people is choosing not to do certain things that they know they enjoy doing out of fear that they are going to get hurt now because they recognize that they're not in shape anymore. And like that idea, like, you know, you love to do, I don't know, freaking name it, ski, tennis, parasail, whatever the hell it is, windsurf, and you don't do it anymore because you're fearful. Oh, damn it, throw the, throw the ball with your 14-year-old kid out back. You're yep. fearful that that's going to get you hurt for the next month so you don't do it anymore? That's sad for me. Um, and I know they're sad about it, but you have two options. But like, I think a lot of that is what resonates with people. Like, you're allowing yourself to lose things in your life that you already know you enjoy because you're fearful that you're going to get hurt. Yeah. It sucks. You're making me actually hyping me up. I feel like I should go skating right now. <laughs> and the next episode of the podcast is live from the hospital bed. You know, one of, the, one of the things, so I'm part of this networking group called BNI. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, Business Networking International. It's like, uh, there's chapters all throughout the world. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, I, and I started doing it with my friend, Emily, who, who's an acupuncturist and a yoga instructor. She, she brought me into this group. And every week we give a 45 second commercial slash ask, right? Like we pitch who we are and, 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 and who are we, what's like an ideal referral? Who are we trying to meet for the week? Right. Mm -hmm. And what's been interesting for me on that is like, you know, I, I think trainers also can get very ego driven in the way that like, you know, all of society isn't doing fitness and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, if they should be more like us, but you know, like a lot of societies like running or playing tennis or doing their version of fitness, right? Like, especially in New York where you have to walk a lot, like there's just people that are, are active. The other side of this fear of like injury is like, there's this fear that they're, you know, they're running out of the option to do the thing they're doing. They just, they know they're feeling like, you know, runners feeling really ground down, you know, like knees, backs, you know, from just, they mm -hmm. love to run. But there's that fear that like, I know this is hurting me right now. And strength training could help prolong that, right? Mm -hmm. Make it safe again. And I think that's with any sport too. Like, you know, I used to love playing tennis and I just feel like, you know, my days of playing tennis are getting shorter because it's starting to hurt my shoulders. It's starting to hurt my back where strength training can help that. And I, oh, there's always this thing of this like one or the other. And it's such an eye opener when somebody like you shouldn't just train unless you're a competitive lifter, right. you know, or, you know, it's, it's kind of like that uh, sports specific training for baseball and stuff, you know, where kids are getting jacked in high school because they're only training for specific things in baseball all year round. They're not switching any modalities around and they're getting all these repetitive use injuries, right? Like go to your coach, find a coach, do some fitnessy stuff specifically in the strength range because you're already doing all of this running around whether it's tennis whether it's running so that you can keep doing it without feeling like there's an end in sight like i hate that idea of like oh you know uh you know i'm 45 now so you know i'm probably gonna you know i would imagine by the time i'm 55 i can't ride my skateboard anymore or i'm gonna be you know longboard cruiser joe <laughs> which i can't be that guy um, <laughs> Move to Cali, man. Cali. Yeah, I just, you know, you're not really going to find me on a longboard. It's just not my thing. I feel like, you know, a nice skateboard with, you know, 
54 inch wheels and, and something you can ollie on. It's always going to be my preference, but it's, so it's that fear of injury, but also the fear of loss, I guess is what I'm trying to get, get at. Yeah. And, and strength training helps with both. But, and which is, I love, like, this is back to my marketing jargon, um, but I think it communicates it clearly. Like, I tell people, because I think it's often twisted, like, a lot of gym marketing is about the gym. Like, we're just a freaking gym. Most people don't spend, enjoy spending a lot of time in here, except weirdos like myself. What they do enjoy is the benefits that come from it. And the benefits are, like, how it makes your life outside of here better, what it allows you to do. It's like, I don't ever need you to love the gym. I want you to have some fun here, but I want you to appreciate what, like, a few hours a week that I spend there has really allowed me to do blah, blah, blah outside of here. Yeah. That's what I always loved about, you know, the classic MFF uh, sweatshirt. We'll say, like, you know, move better, push better, lift better, fuck better, you know, all that stuff. And I really do think it's, it is about all of that stuff versus just how good your class was, right? Or how good your session was. It's what, what can we do outside of it? What does it provide? That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, let, let's switch gears a little bit. So we met through Strength Faction at the first Strength Faction meetup. We lifted at MFF and then we went and hit a bar uh, and had some food. Um, and I know you took, you've been in Faction for a while. You took a break. You came back into the group. And yes. I know we have new signups coming up for the next round. Uh, I think they start Monday, actually. I think early bird registration is happening when this comes yeah. out. So what would you say was a, was a big lesson learned or something you've seen change, not in the faction, but in how it's benefited or had an effect on your training career or life from when you took the hiatus and came back in? Um. Well, look, I think it served different purposes, the two different, like, I called Session A when I was in it for, I think, close to a year and a half initially. And so I started Strength Action when it, like, I was one of the beta testers. Nice. The first 10 people. Um, and stuck with it for close to a year and a half, maybe two years. I don't know the exact dates. Um, and I used it for a variety of purposes then. Um, I learned a shit ton in terms of, programming, uh, what I would call, and I think they call the art of coaching, which I would call interaction, creating a system to actually interact with clients so you don't overwhelm them and and convey somewhat complex information, technical information in a simple way that they can digest it and put it into place. Um, The information I got from them was endless. It changed how I operated my business. It changed how I operated it. interacted with clients it changed what my priorities were in terms of like creating that experience that i talked about for clients so i mean in that year and a half i was in it i probably changed more and learned more than the previous eight years i was in the fitness industry that's awesome yeah and that's freaking huge yeah um and then i took i don't know maybe a year off uh i had a baby my wife had a baby i have a son uh, so we have an 18-month-old, um, and I found myself in a position just like we talked about before. We're, like, taking care of home life, taking care of a baby, making sure my wife was taken care of, trying to run a business and take care of my own shit. And I can comfortably admit I didn't do a good job taking care of my own shit. Like, nutrition suffered, workouts suffered, 
Uh, long and the short of it, so the second time back out of the strength faction, I haven't participated as much as I may have liked in terms of the lessons and coaching calls, but I've been working out like a mofo. And like I have five workouts in a week. I think we're in week uh, 14 right now, and there's yeah. two weeks where I didn't get five workouts in. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I think that's one of the – so as a mentor in Strength Faction, I think one of the stressors on new members is this. There's so much information that it can get overwhelming in the beginning. Yeah. And I think if everybody – and I know when I get assigned my next, my next team, uh, you know, the thing is, it's, it's like I love how you broke that down into like round A and round B, even though there were several phases of Strength Faction, semesters of it within that, is each semester – can be t- you can personally, individually, as a member, tailor the semester for what you feel you need in that four-month window. So I know for me, I had to focus a little bit more on programming than when I first started because that's what I actually went in for was program. Right now, it's been more about like, you know, as you say, last one was more about the pod, like the podcast, the social media aspect, because I went out on my own and the business aspects is so I'm like, crap, now I'm out on my own. I, I need to actually take this real, right? Like I can't just be this guy traveling around the city, showing up, getting paid sessions, hoping people show up, hoping the MTA doesn't hose me. And now it's funny. Now I'm focusing more on the relationships, right? Like, and, and that's a byproduct of the podcast and just being in it longer, like getting to hang out and chat with you. I just taught, um, at Casey Lee's place, Parisi powered by the edge out in Vermont and yeah. getting to hang with, uh, Casey, Michelle and Joe. And, you know, just really, and Kristen and I have had several great talks and, and clearly like, you know, uh, Kirk and like, the, the relationships are what I've been investing in for myself that I think this phase I'm taking in. But I got to be honest, man. I looked at my phone today and the first time as my own independent Fury Industries business, I auto-build people. Like I've never had that, right? Like that's a, a direct takeaway from Strength Faction and from, you know, Business for Unicorns, you know, Keeler and, and Fisher helping me out as well, that I'm not going like, oh, hey, by the way, it's time – it's that time of the month. Like there's an auto bill and yeah, I'm paying square up a percentage, but it's guaranteed now. And it'll auto bill. It'll auto renew. Somebody's card had gotten stolen. Like they knew it. And they said like, look, that charge might not go through. It didn't go through square sent a new invoice. I didn't have to do anything. Now, most of you business folks would be like, no, that no shit fury. That's what you should have been doing the whole time. But for independent trainers, most of us aren't thinking that way because we're yeah. actually thinking a little small. Cause we're thinking like potentially off the books Potentially like, you know, that 3% adds up and yeah, it does. But knowing there's guaranteed income there is huge. And I've had to do that now. I'm transitioning my online clients for it. And sorry, any of my online peeps that aren't aware of this yet. Um, Because, you know, I bill monthly, right? I provide monthly programs. And if it takes you six weeks to figure that, it's still a four-week program in terms of my billing. And I had lost control of that where I'm like, how do I have this many people training with me? And yet I'm like, no money's coming in. Why am I, you know, tracking down too many people to pay up? So now that's on an auto bill thing. And I did my estimated taxes on time. They're in. Like, <laughs> I, I just suddenly all these things that I think a lot like from, from you as an owner of a business, like you, you get all that stuff. But as an independent trainer, I'm like DIY as fuck. And I didn't take any of that serious enough. And now I am. Cause now it's like, Oh, from one of the big takeaways from strength faction is like, no, I'm an, I'm an, I'm a, 
I'm a business. You're a business. I'm not just, and I'm not just brand fury. I'm like, I offer multiple services under a banner. Like I am a business. I just don't have an exterior location, right? An exterior brick and mortar location. Um, but I love that you broke that out because I don't think I've thought about it that way. And that's actually the, hearing you say it that way is going to help me with the next round of mentors because there's, mm-hmm. it's always funny where like, you know, the first couple of weeks, everyone's super stoked. And then around week three or four, some people get stressed that they, they started falling off of lessons or workouts. Yeah. And I don't really do the workouts um, because I'm, I'm generally like, like right now I'm training for an RKC level two. It's very specific. It's not going to be in one of our programs. And I still have to modify everything based on uh, how intent my intensity levels because of the Graves disease. Like I've, I have found that though in the day to day, I don't tremor mm-hmm. I push myself hard in the fitness line. Tremors will start to show up and it, it, it's, it's interesting. It's like uh if, if you, you know, if we use an RKC or strong first principle of radiation or like, you know, crushing a bar, crushing a handle, getting super tight, 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 tight. Um, if I've had a, if I'm just lifting a bit, I'm fine. If I start going deeper into a session, I'll start to shake more than that normal tension shake. Wow. Yeah. I, didn't you, I didn't realize you had that. Yeah. It, it popped up. Like, I think I was diagnosed almost a year ago to the date of this, to this episode. Like we can call huh. it the anniversary episode. Yeah. yeah. I found, I started, I noticed that I had tremors in early May and in about two weeks in, uh, so maybe next week's the actual one, I don't know, but uh, about two weeks in leading into a cert, I started going for testing and uh, they thought I had essential tremors, which scared the shit out of me. And if anybody's listening that deals with that, I did, I have some ideas on like helping to train with that, that I'd love to chat you about. So hit me up on email folks, coachfury@gmail.com. If you yourself have essential tremors or training somebody with them. And then it turns out it was hormonal. It was, it was all my, my thyroid. Um, <laughs> it was racing really high and I was losing a shitload of weight, which was kind of nice. But <laughs> I also was like, I was shaking, man. It was crazy. And I lost all my strength. Like literally like I went from having like a walking 44 K, uh, 97 pound kettlebell press to like shaking for reps, like four or five reps on 20 K less than half yeah. of that. And now what happened is I realized I've been putting on weight. Now, part of that's definitely my nutrition for sure. I'm not making excuses for that, but I, now I'm hypo thyroid. So everything is slowing down and I've been drowsy and tired and like having to like time that stuff because the medicine that they gave me to knock my thyroid to a normal level worked and then started taking it below normal. So now I'm monitoring all that. And it, huh. and you know, when you talk about the land of excuses and, and Amanda Thebe was on this podcast uh, talking about, you know, women when they start going through menopause. Like, we can't judge as trainers, male or female, how a person feels while they're going through something hormonal. Like, it's, it, it's, chemically, it's a chemically induced reaction that's beyond your capability, really, in the moment to, to do. All you can do is empower somebody to run your own race. So there were nights before I found out that my thyroid level was low. There was, like, two months where, like, I was falling asleep on the couch, like, real early and I felt like I couldn't stay up there'd be like sometimes like a 10 minute nap and I feel great sometimes it's like I'm out for like that's it like it's 8 p.m and I'm like can't get up like I'm just done sorry everybody like I can rip Van Winkle that shit grow up with like long Hulk Hogan hair and a long beard or something um but I think that's another thing that as we get older, like those things tend to come up and then you realize they're fairly common. Like uh, the one nice thing about being open about having Graves disease is I've had several friends guests on this podcast be like, Oh, I have that. Or I've had mm. this version of that. 
um, versus this ideal scenario. When you talk about expectations, I think coaches, especially when we're new, we want to have this ideal situation like this is the work we're going to do this is the reps we're going to do this is the weight we're going to do this is the quality of form i want you to have and then mm-hmm. you're like shit you haven't slept you're hung over um <laughs> you've been sick for two weeks and your job like you might get fired tomorrow so like maybe that plan's not going to work yeah that's um perfect segue into what i think is overused and cliche now but i think it's still effective uh, meeting people where they're at Right. And I'm sure it's a term you've used. I use it a lot, actually. And I was been thinking about it and it's a ter- meeting people where they at, where they are at can be used in lots of different contexts. It's like when somebody first comes in, it's like, where are you at? We're going to meet you there and we're going to move you along, which as an aside, I think where most programs screw people up because they don't really take the time to listen and understand where people are at and they set up for failure. Um, and that's what, something we really try hard to do and talk about. It's like, well, shit, I don't know how many days a week you should come here because I don't know right now what the hell else is going on in your life. But we're going to talk about it, and then I can make you a recommendation on how many times you can be here or you should be here per week. I'm going to ask you. Do you feel pretty confident you can get here two times a week? And you say, no, nah, I want to get here three times a week. And, I, and you tell me you're 70% confident that you can only get here three times a week. Well, look. If you sign up for three times a week and keep coming two, you're going to feel like a failure. Yep. If you sign up for two and keep nailing two times a week, you're going to feel amazing. And then the second piece of meeting you where you're at, at least in my mind, is like, where are you at today? What the hell happened last night? What happened for the last three nights? Let's, let's have a two-minute conversation about it, maybe even less. Like, it's okay to adjust and modify. Yeah. That's what long-term success is. So, yeah, wait, we're agreeing with that as being a good term, or you don't think that's a good term? I, I really love the term. I think it's like it's been overused. Because I'll say I think I'm a big believer of meeting people on their agenda and meeting them where they're at, right, in their own, where, where they're coming in that day and also within their, the grand scheme of their continuum. We just had this conversation actually at OS at, at Casey's place because OS is a weird program, original strength, uh, to be clear, that because there have been so many specific kind of high-end results delivered, like some people will show up to a course, and it didn't happen at this one, but some people will show up to a course expecting to be healed mm-hmm. within the context of an eight-hour course. So we have to also stress that, like, we meet people where they're at when they're training, but we also have to set the expectation, going back to the expectation that, like, if you came in really banged up or, like, immobile – your results are going to take longer. Now, just like coming into the gym, though, and being obese versus being like 15 pounds overweight, you're going to probably feel pretty rad in a relatively short time and then hit that plateau phase, right? Like um, if you put in the continued work. But I do think meet where you're at, like I, I do believe on that. And now what I, I think you were sort of mentioned this is in different words, but I think sometimes within that, we we can forget to – challenge them to get them where they want to go yes right like i think that's something that becomes easy to fall back where become too uh too easygoing in the day and we forget that like we do need a level of intensity like so if we if we take about like all the stuff that we talked about about all the things we learned and then how we realize like how much of it we can let go and it's about this experience it's about a consistent experience but 
you know, you don't need an hour workout to get results. You know, like if you have a smart program, you can get that done in like 30 or so minutes. I know my online folks, it's usually about 45 minutes for a workout. The hour is just a billing coordinate, right? It's like from this and scheduling coordinate from this hour to this hour, this is your time. But really, you don't need to do all that much, right? That's the glory of kettlebells and sandbags in the beginning in particular was like, if I can in 30 minutes do 30 squats, 30 presses, 30 swings per side, how much more do I need to add on top of that in my daily fitness, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying just do that, everybody. Like, and if you do just do that, claim that I wrote the program and send me some money (laughs) or it's a freebie. It's a freebie. Go do that. But I think sometimes we get real comfortable with that and then forget to keep pushing them, right? Like we do have to provide them a challenge that they might not set for themselves, and but also knowing when to allow them to succeed and i think that's all in the art and so like when you when you say setting the expectation I, I i think that's probably exactly what you do and i'm not trying to put words in your mouth i think that's what a lot of the coaches i admire do they can meet somebody quote unquote where they're at so we're not hey because that means like we're not hurting them and we are hearing i love that you mentioned listening it means that we're listening to them like that's huge but also not forgetting like every workout can't be like a, a hug session. Like we have to be able to, to lift. We have to be able to move. Um, because quite frankly, it becomes like a different profession if we just stay comfortable with that. You're right. You know, that's probably one of the biggest challenges I still continue to face as a coach is like how to appropriately challenge them, how to make someone like comfortable and feel good, but take them out of that comfortable comfort level and like, one of the principles we talk about at Core Principles is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Finding out how to appropriately challenge someone. It's not pushing them too much. Um, because we want to move them ahead. They want to get moved ahead. And a lot of times they just don't know what it's like to be uncomfortable. But um, And also, you know, the struggle we have internally is like, we want to create that autonomy. We want them to, to decide when it's time to go up. But then there'll be times I've watched someone squat with the same weight for six weeks. And in my head, I'm like, you're stronger now. You got to go up. But if we rely completely on like our autonomy approach, they get to decide. We can ask them some good questions, but they ultimately get to decide when it's, they should go up. But I find myself with certain people from time to time, just, giving them a different kettlebell in their hand to squat and like you were fine and it was time to go up. Sometimes you got to just like abandon what we think are our principles and just give them their heavier weight and be the coach and say, it's time for you to go up. Yeah. And I think it's the expert, you know, again, it's setting that expectation that that's part of the coach's job. Cause I think that in kettlebell land in particular, I think that's like a real big thing where people will use the same bells for the same moves in every class. Even if the class is sequenced differently, it's like, this is my gobbled squat bell. This is my swing bell. How do I know when to go up? And we just had a, a, you know, a a couple of instances uh, here at Fury Industries where someone was, uh, Caitlin, Caitlin, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this. I thought it was really cool. Caitlin, AKA member prime, AKA Optimus prime of Fury Industries. Um, you know, she was saying how she was doing a certain amount of floor presses with one weight, but was cautious about going up for fear of dropping. And I was just like, clearly by the number of reps you're doing under control, we can do like, so if you've got 12 to 15 reps at whatever size bell this is, you definitely have five reps at the next bell. Mm. Right. 
On the flip side, I've had someone come in training, you know, this is something that actually happens fairly often, training for an RKC or a clean and press test and DVRT. And they're like, you know, whether it's their press bell or their snatch test bell, and they're wondering if they're ready to go up a weight um, or, and I'll be like, okay, so say you need to press a 36K bell. How many times can you press a 32? Maybe two. Well, how many times can you press a 28? maybe three it's not enough volume under the load to expect that you're going to own a 36k press right you need to get like if, if say a testing standards 24k and you have five reps you could probably get a single with a 28 it's a rough estimation but i feel like that's a safe one to start having that conversation what i think happens with a lot of people is they expect to make a bigger jump from like a five rep max to another five rep max versus like having to cut reps or you know rounds right like it's a it's a weird thing and i'm sure you're because i think this all got a really big part of how i train people is that rate of perceived exertion right the rp we talked about with jeff hemingway through mff i, I never really thought of that until working at mff and then through strength faction um is creating those testing parameters for them on their own to be like, all right, well, look, if you have this barbell, right, you're doing a, a safety bar squat and you're doing 135 for 18 reps. Like, <laughs> clearly, we have heavier load for, for less. And allowing to warm up too, because that's the other thing I noticed when you have RPEs, whether it's barbells, kettlebells, sandbags, nobody thinks they got to warm up any differently than like just going to the work weight or one warm up set and then going to the work weight. And, uh, just trying to push them. And I will openly admit I have done the switch the bell while they're not looking. <laughs> I haven't done it in a long time, but I've definitely done the like switch a Rooney. It's not a bad thing. You're, you're ultimately helping them, which is your job as a coach. They're ready for it. And they're just not able to just determine that they're ready for it. Yeah. And then suddenly they're pretty stoked about it. Right. It sounds dishonest and horrible, but then suddenly they're like, Oh, and, and, and but you've already conveyed like this experience that like you know I, or relationship that like we believe in you and we wouldn't yeah. we, I wouldn't do that if I didn't. I've literally had a one time at Five Points Academy somebody that I was training who didn't believe she could do a pull up on her own, right? Like I was always spotting from the lower back and mm -hmm. I'd barely spot. I don't know. Most of us as trainers, you realize when you're close proximity, not even touching, but there's like that like weird neurological safety blanket that happens where they're just stronger and they do something that they don't believe they can do. Right. So yeah. I did. And I'm like, I got you. And she didn't believe she did the pull up on her own. She wouldn't like appreciate her own victory. I literally was like, okay, I got you. And then as she started the pull up, I walked in front of her because it was one of those <laughs> tap tracks. Right. Like I literally was like, see, you did it. And finding ways that they can like start to have that aha in themselves that we see in them. Cause sometimes they're the last person to realize how strong they've gotten. They're the last person to see how strong they've come into the session starting. Cause that's the other thing. Some people don't realize how, un what untapped strength they already have. We're showing them their baselines and then showing them when they're like, have like crushed their pre-existing baselines. I've got a similar story with this wonderful woman. We have Lucy. Uh, she's been with us about a year now and she came to us like when she's exhausted every other thing she could do to get out of back pain and been in back pain for like I think close to 20 years. I'm like, I don't know that I can help you, but I'll certainly give you a try. But I know I'm not going to make you any worse. I'm not going to aggravate you. She's like, fine, I'm willing to work with you. Let's do this. Um, 
so much of it was about creating trust initially. Just her, because she had been steered wrong or ended up in a shitty position so many times before. But so much of it was about just creating trust initially and getting her comfortable understanding and appreciating that I was not going to do anything that I knew she couldn't do. Um, one of the things she held on to at like four or five months into it was that she was never going to deadlift. She absolutely did not want to ever deadlift. She didn't want to use that pattern in any way, shape, or form. Um, so like we've been, I can laugh about it with her now, but ultimately she was ready to freaking deadlift. Right? Mm-hmm. It was like the pattern, PVC pattern, hinging pattern, did a cook band, pull through. She was ready to pick a kettlebell up off the floor. Uh, but she still, so never, she was never going to deadlift. So I didn't even talk about a deadlift. I just set up an exercise, demonstrated it for her, told her what she was going to do, and she did it and, and like crushed it as I knew she would. And then a few minutes later, I said, guess what? You just deadlifted. And she was like, yeah, she laughed about it, thought it was great. She couldn't have been more enthusiastic that she just successfully deadlifted because she, know, she needs to be able to pick shit up off the ground. Yeah. The rest of her life is what she's been uh, avoiding. And she had this like funky sequence she used every time she picked something up off the ground. And she started to believe, wow, I'm actually going to be able to pick something up off the ground again. That's awesome. And when you think about like, I mean, that's what I love about what we do. Like, so when you deliver that on somebody, right? Like, you know, they might stop training with you down the line. Like they'll remember the pattern, right? Like that's the thing. Uh, they might get, you know, I, I just love those things that are the takeaways that will probably stick outside of fitness. Whatever she's doing, she's going to have access to that, that skill now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we can take that for granted sometimes, but it's awesome. I love stories like that. Yeah. Um, hey, brother, so we've been at this for an hour. We're going to start yeah. to wrap this up. Uh, I want to ask you, I want to switch out of fitness for a little bit. Um, what's like a, a cool movie or TV show that you've seen lately? Now, admittedly, I know sometimes, uh, with uh, 18 months, you're in like prime Dora the Explorer era right now, uh, or, or Diego. Um, wh- what's a cool movie or something you've seen lately? Uh, so last night, actually, uh, my wife and I watched Patriot, um, about the Boston Marathon bombing. Oh, is that any good? Yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, I just turned it on to check it out. It was awesome. I got pulled in. I cried a couple times throughout the movie. Um, and it was, I don't know, it connected us particularly because when that event happened in Boston, um, Joanne and I were on our honeymoon in Thailand. So we felt, felt very like disconnected to it, like very much interested in trying to get details, but like we were disconnected because we were in Thailand. So it's always been meaningful uh, to us in this weird kind of way because we weren't here and like, able to participate if you will anyway it was a good movie <laughs> that's that's the one that's the one is that the one with mark Wahlberg? yeah that's right oh i did see that i saw that on the plane and yeah man uh i was i was immediately i was thinking of the jake gyllenhaal one which i think might be called stronger it's from the perspective of uh someone who lost their leg at it i think which i haven't uh. yeah i dug that movie it was really um particularly hard to watch when they get that security officer that was working at the campus when they pulled off on. Yeah. Um, you know, Lauren and Jason and I, uh, we talked about this on their episode. So I assisted with Lauren at the second strong for a certain Boston. And it literally like 
was the weekend after, right? So we were outside of Boston. So a weekend later, they were still trying to track down those two assholes. And um, we couldn't get food delivered. Certain members, like attendees, couldn't get there because they were on lockdown. So one day we had like all these pizzas. But it was like this crazy electricity because it was only the second strong first level one cert. Um, Pavel was still showing up and involved with those things at that time. And this, the, the bombing had happened. There was just this like amazing, deepened, heartfelt like intensity through the whole damn thing. And I, I remember like having mixed emotions about wanting to watch that. Like some of that sometimes I find now since I've had kids and stuff, you'll, I don't know if you notice it. Like uh, now that I have kids, if I watch a movie like it, right. Like, which is a great horror movie. But in the beginning, something really bad happens to a kid. If I was in high school or junior high, I'd be like, oh, that was gross. But that was like a kid thing. Like, this is great. Now as a dad, I'm like, what if that was my kid? <laughs> a weird perspective. So that movie, like Patriot and, and you know, like uh, being from New York, anytime like something like 9-11 terrorist related is, 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 is kind of rough. Um, but that was a good one. You know what I just started watching completely to like lighten this up? So... Uh, I started watching the the new Jumanji movie last night. Okay. It's freaking pretty great. Now, mind you, everybody, I haven't finished it yet. So if I go off the first 45 minutes, I, I didn't realize they set it up that the first movie still could have happened. And it's super fun. So uh, 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 go see The Patriot. And then to cheer yourself up, go see Jumanji. Unless you want, I don't know if that's disrespectful. Leave a day in between. <laughs> but it, but I dug it. Um, anyway, so, Halen. Yes. Tell the listeners where they can find more information about you and Core Principles Strength and Conditioning. Love to. So, a couple places. Uh, core Principles, one word, dash, sc.com. Most importantly, if you're ever in the fine city of Stanford, Connecticut, give us a holler. 203-914-6396. Come over. We'll have beer. We'll have coffee. We'll have whatever the heck you like. Uh, hang out for as long as you like. Uh, we'd love to have you over. Um, and you can find Core Principles on Facebook as well as Instagram. My personal Instagram is Huddy's Dad. Hudson is my son's name. So going by Huddy's Dad. Or it's exclusively pictures of Huddy, Huddy and I working out, or <laughs> Daddy working out. Hey, so you're at Stanford. If I come visit, can you get me into the Titan Tower? That's where, where the, the that's the WWE headquarters, isn't that Stanford? Oh. Yeah. So before we before we moved, um, we lived adjacent to WWE headquarters. Oh, man, I would love I used, I, I'd love to train some wrestlers. Yeah. Um, I used to see uh, Mr. Vince McMahon driving on 95 in his uh, Bentley, weaving in <laughs> traffic, driving like he owned the joint. That's amazing. Yeah, one day I'd love to get in there. Whenever I drive, it's usually actually when 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 we when we used to drive to visit uh, Kim's dad in his old place, in their old place, and uh, when I dr- drive up to see my buddy James, who's out in Guilford by you, or to go to Boston <laughs> for something. Yeah. I, I always get excited when I see the flag on the building and I'm like, one day, it's like every three years I go back into like a, a deep dive of wrestling and I fan out and I just uh, have this mixed, uh, uh, 
Vince McMahon's kind of like somebody that I, I, I would both love to have an hour to talk with and also be like probably crapping my pants the entire hour. Wait, so real quick, tell me, did you see the Andre the Giant special yet? No, I'm dying to. Um, I watched it today. I watched it this afternoon. That's HBO, right? Yes. So I don't know if you were familiar with ECW wrestling at all, Extreme Championship Wrestling. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, WWE, when they got really big with their Attitude Era, when they were transitioning from WWF to WWE, a lot of that was pulled from copying like uh, ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling, which was based out of Philly. And they went out of business in 2001. And that was like my jam for like a, a number of years. I was like a long time fan, but I, when I got into it, I got in deep. And every three or four years, I have some documentaries and I, I just go through like, all right, for the next week, I'm rewatching all my documentaries, <laughs> Behind the Mat, The Rise and Fall of ECW, uh, Barbed Wire City, Forever Hardcore. And now I forget, you know, now with podcasts, now that I'm like more aware, the last year, um, my friend, Emily, Emily Rowe turned me on a podcast like about two years ago, I guess. I'm like, oh, I can look up all these people on podcasts. And mm. it's odd to think in 2001, there wasn't like a ton of internet. I mean, the internet was like a thing for sure. But it wasn't like where I was thinking like, oh, go back and check stuff, right? Like I wasn't looking for YouTube libraries of past matches and stuff. Now I'm like, oh, all these interviews and stuff are online. So I've been going through this weird, oh, I'll be programming for, for, my, for the Die Mighty Online crew <laughs> and like, there's like a Rob Van Dam uh, shoot interview up in the background, and I'm like making sure I don't put like crazy moves in people's program. <laughs> but I love that you brought that up. Um, dude, cool, can, can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Listeners, please die mighty. I don't think there's any alternative for you, so just die mighty. And I, I want to tell, tell this. This podcast, more than most, I think – Listeners, if you think back about, about what we spoke about on every front, everything we've talked about has actually been about dying mighty and what it means to me inadvertently. And I think a lot of trainers are on it. It's just how I worded it. It's like, don't let getting older, don't let age stop you from doing what you, need, what you need to do. You just might have to prepare differently for it. And folks like Halen and I are here for you to help you prepare for it. Sure. Uh, brother, man, I'm so excited we finally got to have this happen. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Fury. I appreciate you, man. This has been such a great pleasure and a great experience. And, hey, I can't wait to chat more with you. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Uh, listeners, stay tuned for next week. Uh, we're going to have the Iron Tamer, Dave Whitley, on the show. I'm really stoked to speak with him. Halen, have an awesome week. And uh, listeners, thank you so much. We're in our 30s now, man. We're, we're, we're hitting episodes. It's awesome. Um, and check out strengthfaction.com. I'm going to throw that out here now, too, just because uh, the new semester is starting up. And if you've listened to this show, a lot of the guests uh, have been heavily, positively impacted by the group. Um, so, everybody, have an awesome week. I'm bringing you a tamer next week. Take care, everybody. Do it. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by yours truly, Steve, Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc.com for band, album, tour, and merchandise information. And the artwork is created by Glenn Murrieta. Visit glennmurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or on Instagram, at Glenn Murrieta. Thanks, everyone.